I know what you did to my misery, you dirty birdie. You dirty birdie. <laughs> There's a, um, oh, I forget what it's called. It's Misery is the original. Yeah. There's one that's like a Misery version, but it's George Lucas as the writer. Whoa. You can look this up on YouTube. And, is that a real thing? Wow. Yeah. And the woman, uh, the woman who's doing the Kathy Bates character is angry for George killing her Jar Jar. You killed Jar Jar. <laughs> it wasn't a cock a duty X-Wing. Okay. <laughs> All right, you ready to do this? Yep. I'm going to stand up until we sing mm-hmm. so that I can breathe while I'm standing up. Okay, so I'm also going to stuffy. I'm cack and I'm all in. Nolan? Nolans? You're supposed to say Zolan. Okay, I'm Zolan. And I'm Gak. And welcome, and welcome to, to the Zolan Crat Sweetie Podcast. <laughs> Alright, real one. Alright. I'm Zach. And I'm Colin. And welcome, and welcome to, to the, the House Plants Podcast. Podcast. We are here to talk about three things. Music. Media. And the mission of Jesus. Yeah. Good stuff. Can we try doing music media and the mission of Jesus? You start high, I start low, and we go introverted. uh, So we invert through each other. Okay. Music, media, and the mission of Jesus. Nice. All right. Zach. That's from a movie called A Mighty Wind. Oh, yeah. You guys should please listen or watch it or at least check out the it's soundtrack. It's like a really it's quick part that like you can't find unless you know that movie really well. <laughs> Red, blue, green, yellow, indigo, and violet. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so, Zach, right, real quick before we do a song, what's the song about and what is it? So, uh, we're going to do, um, we're going to take some lyrics that were written by Isaac Watts. Uh, he made a Psalter in 1744. Reggie Watts, great-grandfather. Great-great-great-great-grandfather, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was a famous uh, hymn writer, mm-hmm. and he wrote in 1784 the Psalms of David. So this is from uh, the first 11 verses of Psalm 25, and it talks about truth, and it has some allegorical things in it, and that will lead into things that we were talking about today quite nicely. So yeah, here it is. Here's our version of it. I lift my soul to God. My trust is in His name. Let not my foes that seek my blood still triumph in my shame. Sin and the powers of hell persuade me to despair. Lord, make me know thy covenant well, that I may escape the snare. From the first dawning light, till the dark evening rise, for thy salvation.
Ready? You're singing melody. For his own goodness sake, he saves my soul from shame. He pardons though my guilt be great through my Redeemer's name. Through my Redeemer's name. Amen. Amen. We did such a good job on that. <laughs> if only you guys knew what went into making a song. Colin, remember to do the best that you can editing this. That'll be funny. We should make like a an audio edit later with like all the mess. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, uh, I'm a total- usually our mess ups are very small and we just leave them in there. I'm just I'm a, such a, I was such a goof this time. I, I, I think my brain's not working right. Yeah. Sorry about that. I was moving my mic. It's OK. All right, man. All right. So we're back. Yeah, we are. With a nice little uh, poem from Isaac Watts or a cool psalm, guy. Psalm, basically. Yeah. Metrical Psalter. Check out the Psalms of David by Isaac Watts. Boom, boom. And uh, I like the lyric in there that kind of goes with what we're going to be talking about today. Remember all thy grace and lead, lead me, me in, in thy, thy truth. truth. Yep. So um, let me just ask you this. Have you enjoyed the last three episodes and the cool like path we're leading through? It's been so much fun and it's been kind of a twisty, weird path because we had an episode deleted. Uh, Yeah, we had Bob for a little bit um, and then we haven't had Bob back yet. I'm sure he'll come back sometime. Yeah. And then we formed a series out of four different podcasts, uh, Mm -hmm. just kind of out of nowhere. So. It's been crazy, but I'm glad that we did because I feel like um, you and I have kind of learned some stuff along the way, which is really cool. It's definitely been a learning um, experience for both of us. So before we get too heavy, I'll just say for the topic today, we're going to be talking about the kind of the understanding of like allegorical interpretation of scripture versus like literal or truth. Um, and so we kind of... What's the story that scripture is saying yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, wh- where do we fall in on that? So, uh, Zach, I think you prayed last time. So if you would like, I will pray this time. Yeah, go for it, man. All right. God, thank you again for, uh, letting us have the opportunity to discuss your word, to, um, spend our time reflecting on you and kind of, uh, meeting with the community over the internet and getting a chance to, uh, get a deeper understanding, dig a little deeper with you. And we just, uh, we want to pray that tonight that uh, you would use this podcast to um, sort of uh, facilitate all the things that you want for us and all the ways you want us to delve into the scripture. And so we just pray for your Holy Spirit to enter this place as we do it. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right, cool. Now that we got that crazy uh, hiccup song out of the way that I goofed up on a bunch. Um, Zach, uh, what do you think is the kind of like dividing line? Define allegorical interpretation. When I think of allegory, I always think of like um, C.S. Lewis. Because Mm -hmm. like in school when you're learning about like – the Narnia series and stuff. Yeah. Um, you talk about how, uh, CS Lewis wrote an allegory for like God and scripture and the Bible. And, um, it's a story about Aslan who is like an allegorical Jesus. Right. And like the defeat as land, um, as in, uh, (laughs) as like the world that they're in is called Asland. Yes. It's a bunch of people that live in (laughs) Asland. They're Sorry. called the Asgardians. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so C.S. Lewis. You know what's weird is that I I heard recently like somebody try and use C.S. Lewis like a a, a non Christian person try to use C.S. Lewis in oh, really? some regard, and I was like, I, I don't know if you know this. Yeah. But G.K. Chesterton led C.S. <laughs> Lewis to Christ. So that's right. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. So, okay. So the way I kind of see things, and maybe I'm way off base here, but it seems like the sort of um, non-believer or maybe the, the, um, the truth skeptics in some regard will say yeah. something along the lines of that the Bible is somewhat unfactual, like it's, it's unfactual. It maybe contradicts itself and maybe just it, a bunch of stories. It's maybe just a bunch of stories. You know, the really scary one, the one that just mm, is that recently I've seen quite a lot of people talk about how Jesus was actually just a mythical guy and was yeah, yeah. never actually existed. You know, that's so dumb because we have so much proof that Jesus yeah. at least was a real guy. <laughs> For a long time, nobody even yeah, questioned you can just, that. I mean, I yeah. guess if you're a non-Christian, you can dispute how how godly he was or how human sure. he was, which I believe he was both. Uh, <laughs> he was totally human and totally yes, god. Yes, fully man, fully God. Of course, you know, some people said he was uh, just a great guy, you know. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a Futurama episode that I love, and it's... Uh, <laughs> Bender the robot says it's his bot mitzvah. Yeah. And then they ask the rabbi that's there about, he's like, how do you feel about robot Jesus? And he goes, Oh, we think he was a terrific prophet. <laughs> 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 like they make the joke that, cause they're, they're Jewish. They don't believe that. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's like, Oh, we, we think he was a very well-made robot in yeah. a very well-made facility, <laughs> but he was not the same. He's, he's a really cool robot. Yeah. So, um, so there's that side that says everything is sort of allegorical, mythical. Yeah. And, and to the degree of it just, you know, being like an anti-Christian anthem. Just a story. Anthem. Yeah. And then. Like any of the Greek myths or um, the Wizard of Oz or any of the religious texts like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I like what, uh, I, I think you, uh, you wrote something in there that I actually really like the. Think the yeah. love part of well, let's let's talk about the other extreme first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. So, uh, I don't want to brand fundamentalist in this way, but it just seems like fundamentalists all all kind of lean towards this, and that is that everything in the Bible should be just taken everything literally. is literal. So it's all like complete like fact that you don't have to dig into mm. or anything. The surface face value it means what it says. Yeah. Now I will and, say I will say that you can read things at face value and derive deeper meaning. That's yeah, that's fine. Yeah, like, you can do both. I I would I would say that like in some respects I can definitely respect that point of view because you can get it is the road less traveled. You can muddy up the scripture too with you your know, own with, muddy with your interpretation. own interpretation. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So in some ways I think going for face value. Um, it's not a bad approach most of the time, yeah. but it's just that there's so many complexities with the scripture because it was written over, you know, a period of many different years with lots of different authors. Right. There's a lot of different tactics of writing in there. So it's not necessarily all right so, at the surface level. <laughs> so, um, okay. So before I ask you yeah. the, the billion dollar question, what do you got, Zach? What's that extra stuff you wrote in there? Yeah, well, you said, like, we're somewhere in between um, these two extremes, right? I mean, that's where we are as far as this one goes, but... Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we both have faith that the Bible means what it says, um, and, and we believe that it is real, but we also think that there's a bit of allegory and things in it. Um, there's kind of a, like an, another one that, uh, you didn't write down. Um, but there's Christians who are kind of think the same way as anti-Christians. Yeah. So you can think that the Bible is like unfactual and just a bunch of stories, but kind of still be a Christian. Yeah, you can, <laughs> but, but let me, let me, let me throw this. You could say you. like, this can is, you be a Christian then? Well, that's the question, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there are people who are part of churches who are out there uh, claiming to do ministry and things, but they're like, you know, the Bible, it's just really old, outdated. We don't have to like really look at it anymore. Right. Yeah. That's some dangerous thinking. I want to make sure that people know that we're not that. Yeah. No, (laughs) we say we're in the middle. So. (laughs) So, okay. now that now that we've kind of established that. um, So, Zach, you personally where where do you fall on yeah. the line? You're yeah. obviously somewhere in there. Yeah. Um. The 
the the ones mo- like okay so well, i guess the point we're trying to get to is yeah. that so, there are certain people that think it's all literal certain people that think it's all stories yeah then there is probably like the i guess average christian that would say certain ones are allegorical yeah certain ones are literal yeah so it depends on what scripture you're talking about yeah. for me and also it depends on how it fits into the overarching narrative of scripture the philosophy term would be meta narrative that's oh yeah that's asbury student on that end well even if you're like just a philosophy student or just a basic googler of philosophy uh that's what you'd find meta narrative just like a you know where's this going yeah. um i like to consider that when i'm reading scripture and think about like what's it really saying and how does it fit into the larger puzzle right so um now that we're there, now you guys kind of get a better feel yeah. for what I mean when I say allegory versus truth. Now, I use truth very, like, intentionally over literal, literally. Oh, yeah? And the problem with saying something is literal is that I think a lot of people take that word and make it mean maybe more than it should mean. Like, when you say this, I am literally doing this. Yeah. Or... um well, people of, use it in the opposite. Yeah. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I literally died this morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And so uh, so what's funny is that your sentence you just said, I yeah. literally died this morning. If you said that, if you wrote that down and that was somehow in the Bible, it's own 2,000-year-old yeah. way. <laughs> like, like, okay, great. Uh, here we go. Let me read you one that I personally really really like it just came to me yeah. based on what zach just said and it's from psalm 88 oh psalm 88 i want you to Gotta tell pull me that depressing one in i want you to establish with me what you believe is factual and what you believe is true about this here we go the most depressing psalm of all time in my opinion it's lord i song. cry out I, I oh lord the god who saves me Day and night I cry out before you. Yeah. That all seems to be, that checks out. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble. My life draws near to the grave. Uh Now, you think his life really draws near to the grave? You think he's actually dying, this guy? Could be. The people that are singing, the group of people (laughs) singing this worship song, this psalm. Did David write that one? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hold on. It was a song... A Psalm of the Sons of Korah. Oh, sons of, for, it's a Sons of Korah one. Oh. For the director of music, according okay. to Mahalath Leonov. Okay, keep keep reading. I'll tell you who the Sons of Korah are. They're pretty crazy. A maskil of Heman the Ezraite. I want to look up the Sons of Korah real quick. So the thing, the thing that you guys got to remember is, if we're taking this all literally, we're saying that he is close to the grave. I am a man without strength. I am like a man without strength. Well, that's a little different. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie down in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Now, this guy is obviously conveying a point. Yeah. Whoever wrote this. Now, it literally says at the bottom, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. So... If if his if God's terrors had really destroyed him, which they probably could have, yeah, he would be destroyed. But he's still writing. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Now let me ask you this: If you're singing this song and you say darkness is my closest friend and my companions have been taken from me, you're probably not standing next to anybody, right? Yeah. Oh wait, I forgot. This is for the uh, sons of Korah who are all singing together in a choir. Yeah. Well, you know who they were. They were the sons of uh, this guy, Korah, who uh, led a revolt against Moses. And uh, God punished them by raining fire down on them. But, well, maybe there there it is then. But, but a lot of the sons of Korah continued to live, and they were these important like singers and worship leaders. So they've got this like very depressing backstory where their father oh, like rebelled against Moses and God killed him. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that might be part of uh, the depression angle see, there. We're talking about some really wonderful things on the podcast. Tonight. Yeah. 
But I will say that 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 just because you had mentioned like I literally died today. Yeah. That is an example of yeah. a figure of speech. So <laughs> where do we find the silver? Like, where's the uh, borderline between a figure right. of speech allegory? So, OK. Last week, we talked about twisted scripture and how sometimes twist strip, bleh, scripture can get. Is it a tongue twister, perhaps? Ooh. Yeah. Scripture can get twisted as a result of a lot of different things. Now, yeah, yeah. before that, we talked about self-love and idols, uh, you know, uh, how we can kind of put things up in front of our, uh, you know, in front of what we need to be doing, which is to be worshiping God. Uh, and, you know, in a roundabout way, last week's twisted scripture was another form of like diverting from God because you're diverting from the scripture and yeah. doing something else. Yep. So today, allegory is the kind of thrown up in the air idea that like, what does this mean more than like, what is it literally saying? So yeah. um, the way I define... You got to read a book for the truth that it contains that it's actually pointing to. Right. Yeah. And so this this is going to be kind of weird, but I'm just going to run through this really fast. I do not believe that this is like something I can easily understand, but I'm yeah. going to read it just so that we have like a groundworking her hermeneutics. Is that uh, how you yeah. say that? Yep. And that's not just biblical thing, right? Like any book you can interpret. That's right. You can do herme- hermeneutics with anything, but a lot of the Christian community knows what hermeneutics is. It means attempting to understand the teaching of something. Right. Yeah. And so in, in what I found on Wikipedia, and I put on here as notes, Wikipedia, it says lexical syntactical analysis yep. is the first way we interpret. And that says this step looks at the words used in the way that the words are used. Different order yeah. of the sentence, the punctuation, the tense of the verse are all aspects that are looked at in the lexical syntactical method. Here, lexicons and grammar aids can help in extracting meaning from the text. You talked about that last week when you said that you have the reference. Uh, what do you call that? Um, concordance. Uh, the Bible where it has the original oh, yeah. language. Inter- interlinear with a concordance. There you yep. go. So that is a way that we would be able to interpret the text. Yep. The next one is historical cultural analysis. The history and culture mm. surrounding the authors is important to understand to aid the interpretation. For instance, understanding the Jewish sects of the Palestine and... Uh, the government that ruled Palestine in New Testament times yeah. increases understanding of scripture. So what was the world like when this came about and how does that influence the meaning of the scripture? So yeah. uh, a friend of mine named Andrea Stendel gave me this Bible. And one of the things I really like about it is that in the beginning of each book, it says, why read this book? Who wrote this book? Why was it written? what to look for and who was it written for. Right. And what I think this important about that is those were all different things to consider when you're interpreting text. So that is the cultural significance and yeah. historical significance. Then there's contextual, which we also talked about last time. That's easy to figure out. A verse out of context can often be taken to mean something completely different from its intention. This is twisting scripture we referred to last time. Yeah. A lot of good examples on that episode, so go back and listen to it. You should definitely do that. And then theological analysis. This one, I haven't seen as much. Like, Wikipedia had this one, but a lot of other lists I look up didn't. I don't think it had this one specifically. It is often said that a single verse usually doesn't make a theology. This is because scripture often touches on issues in several books. For instance... Gifts of the Spirit are spoken about in Romans, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians. To take a verse from Corinthians without taking into account other passages that deal with the same topic can cause a poor interpretation. All right. Now, this one is the one we're talking about today. It's a topic of of things that um, are like a thread throughout Scripture. Yeah. Right? So you can follow along the story of love or something. Right. And then yeah. the last one's the one we're going to be talking about today, which is yeah. they listed a special literary analysis. Uh-huh. I would call it allegory uh, analysis. And that okay. is there are several special literary aspects to look at, but the overarching theme is that each genre of scripture has a different set of rules that applies to it. Of genres found yeah. in scripture, there are narratives, histories, prophecies, 
apocalyptic writings, poetry, psalms, and letters. In these, there are differing levels of allegory, figurative language, metaphors, similes, and yep. literal language. For instance, the apocalyptic writings and poetry have more figurative and allegorical language than does the narrative or historical writing. These must be addressed. Okay. Yep. Uh, to get the full understanding. So You can't just read Revelation and be like, right. oh, see, a monster is going to come out of the sea. Literally. (laughs) I mean, uh, okay. So speaking of revelation, revelation is an example of one of the, what I would call controversies of, is it allegorical? Is it literal? Yep. Jason Rowe, who we've had on the podcast uh, knows very, very, very much about revelation. I would love to get him back to do like a cool, like in-depth, like look at revelation. The eschaton. If we ever get a chance to, to like dig into a certain type of scripture for fun. Um, but the one I really like was Hosea. We've been reading, we just got done reading Hosea yeah. in uh, church. And um, Hosea has this cool thing where he talks about his wife and kids, but a lot of people assume that he is talking about the church and the state of the church and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, so like, let me get to it here. Well, he, you know. He named his kids certain things. Right. And the names had meanings for like the history of Israel. And um, that was a common thing. Isaiah did the same thing. Right. But like, so like here it says, you know, uh, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and take yourself an adulterous wife Uh and a children of unfaithfulness because the land, this is Hosea one, two, by the way. Uh, land of guilty, vileness, adultery, and departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, and then it says on here, why would he tell, did Hosea's wife already have children? This is the commentary married? thing on your Bible? Yeah. Basically, yeah. people sometimes make the assumption that Hosea's wife and kids were a representation of Israel Yeah. at the time. Um. So what I would say is that I think it's both and in this particular case, just from what I've read and interpreted. But um, also it's okay to look allegorically and literally at a text, both at the same time and then derive from it what you want. Now, why would allegory Zach be bad to assume something is allegorical? Why do you think it would be like a tough thing to just like always assume it's allegorical? Well, I mean, I think that, Something could be allegorical, but it could also be factual and truth all at the same time. Yeah. So that's a confusing thing. So why would, why would it be bad if I just said like, well, this is obviously allegory. Every, every scripture. Right. Yeah. Um, like if Jesus, it was like, well, Jesus was born in a manger, obviously allegory. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that some, at a certain point you get to where, um, you're not looking at the truth side of it enough. And maybe, you know, you're a kind of person who doesn't really see truth in the Bible, so we're not going to convince you anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We'd be uh, chopping yeah, at a, yeah. a metal tree in that, in that right. regard. But yeah. um, so, okay, like, here's a big one, and you wrote some cool stuff. So the creation story. That's a big can of worms. Um, it is. And I, we don't have to get into the whole thing, yeah. but a lot of people talk about the allegory versus the literal nature yeah. of that scripture. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's the argument is, uh, did creation literally take six 24 hour days or not? Um, there are a lot of fundamentalists out there that do take that literally. And, um, I think that they have some good reasons for thinking that, like you look at the word that they use for day, they say like, it's, it's used for a day like it pretty yeah there are other it, there are other words they could have used to mean like a certain amount of time but not a 24-hour day yeah um but also um i guess my argument is not whether it was six-day creation or millions billions of years yeah. creation yeah my, what's the point my argument is that um that's not the story that it's telling. Yeah. It's not really speaking to the science and you know, we could, (laughs) that could be controversial to some people. Um, so, you know, I I think that you have good reasons for believing either way, but I just don't, I don't think that's what Genesis is trying to teach. 
So the, like that's that's one of the things we want to talk about as well is that communities seem to be split over allegory versus literal nature yeah. of some of these texts. Right. And I think that splitting your community over that, you're already in yeah. like the wrong mindset. Yeah, but what is cool, specifically about Genesis and other places in the Bible too, is that you can actually, we've gone back and looked at what other cultures had at the same time. So you can actually literally compare a lot of the stories in the entire book of Genesis to like Gilgamesh or like the Ugaritic texts. There were like these ancient stories about gods coming down. Right. So like case in point, uh, Genesis talks about the Nephilim Genesis six. Yeah. It says that, uh, um, sons of God came down and had children with women. And these were like known as these like great heroes or whatever, but they caused a lot of problems. Sure. Right. The Babylonian version. Yeah. If you go back and read that, um, instead of the Nephilim being these like problems on the earth, yeah. Um, they were like flawed these, people instead of being flawed, instead of being flawed or like, you know, something that like a shouldn't be there. Force or something. Yeah. What they were for, for Babylon were like the founders of the empire. So they're like looking at the giants, or whatever that were like the bad guys of the Bible and they're making them the good guys. Well, that's Babylon for you. <laughs> yeah. And so, so when you look at like what the Bible's saying, it's a political statement for the time that it came from. Yeah. Because it's saying, like, yeah, these great, like, gods that you're worshiping, the idols of your empire, yeah, they're actually a problem. Like, they're part of the reason things are so bad. They're, so, not, they're not these, like, wise, like, sages that did all these good things for us. They're actually, like, flawed and a problem. <laughs> so, okay, I asked you a little bit ago, um, what is, like, what is the danger of, like, only seeing allegory and everything? Yeah. So what's the danger in seeing only literally everything? Well, you could miss what the allegory is actually trying to say. So, for instance, with creation, you can get hung up on how long it took and even argue with other people about it. Either way, I mean, both sides probably do this. Um, that's not the point of the story. The point is how awesome God is right. for having the power to create something out of nothing. Right. You know, like, you know, it's like um, a friend of mine said, like, whether it was six days of creation or billions of years, doesn't matter. Either way, God is super powerful because it came from nowhere. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the the funny thing is is that um, in the past, and when I was growing up, I, I noticed this less and less, like as I grew up. Yeah. But the 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 constant like friction or, or like tension for like the scientific minded versus the Christian minded. Yeah. And I find that there's so much more of a fusion now where a lot of science like not only can't disprove what's going on with the Bible, but it also it, like kind of supports it in a lot of ways. That's just my thing. Yeah. But that doesn't take away from um, what the story is saying about the six days. I'm just saying that, yeah. again, what Zach is saying, we are we are focusing on weird detail-oriented things. Yeah. And that's not God's intention for that. Well, the- think about this. Like, science and religion can match up more than you think they can. Yeah. Like, Science is there to like test and like observe like real physical objects. Yeah. Well, like it's totally a Christian, like basic assumption that God created a world that is real and like has real physical presence. Yeah. Like Christian, like that's part of Christianity is that the physical world matters. Um, and that's what science is like basing most of their assumptions off of that. Like let's look at the physical world because it counts for something. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, the, the problem is that I think that in our, on our current modern day culture, we need the facts to build our case. Yeah. And that is not really the way you should be looking at the scripture. The scripture isn't my facts proved against somebody else's facts. The scripture is God's truth poured into us and we need to like hear it and understand it as best as we can. 
And so the problem doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with us. That's yeah. the biggest issue that we run into. Yeah. That's why self-love is such a thing on, on social idols. media. And that's why idols are such a thing. It's because yeah. we often, we often take our focus away from what we need to be focused on. Yeah. And so with allegory, what we, what we tend to find is that people use allegory as a weapon against Christianity of saying, you know, this is only allegorical and because it's only allegorical, it is not based in fact. And because it is not based in fact, you shouldn't believe in it. Yeah. Now what's funny is, um, I have a few funny examples that I'm going to, I'm going to do, but then I'm going to talk about some great scripture as well. But yeah, yeah. maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll start by saying before I get to those examples, I'll start by asking you, what do you think the word fact means? Like what is a fact? Yeah. Versus, what is a truth? Right. Facts are um, anything reported anywhere on the internet. So just believe everything you read on the internet. I it's agree. Only facts. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what's the? Uh, I I like usually what I'll do is I'll do Webster's like dictionary or whatever. Sure. Uh, uh Merriam-Webster. But uh, for me personally, I think that. Truth doesn't need to have detail. Hmm. That might be the difference. Interesting. So what, I do you, re- what do you mean by that? I think that truth doesn't have to have like, okay, if, if I said, I love you yeah, as a friend, as a brother in Christ, or if I said, I love you to my wife, do you need me to say to you, all the ways and detail oriented ways that I love you. Let me count the ways. <laughs> or do you just yeah. believe that I'm saying that? Right, like, yeah. and I'm, I believe that and I am honest about it. So to, in uh, a great uh, article that I read that I thought was pretty good was this guy was talking about how in a court case, um, both the, the uh, defense and the prosecutor, they, 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 Deal out their facts. Yeah. Okay. But the facts are details that make up a picture. Yeah. It's up to the jury it's to like, understand the truth. Yeah, yeah. Behind the facts. It's like my cousin Vinny. Exactly. When he pulls out the playing card and he's he going to show you it's got straight sides and that's a good shape. Yeah. But when you turn it a certain way, it's paper thin because yep. you're innocent. And he flips yep. over and it's a different card. I'm like, ooh, magic. Yeah. But so the problem is that facts deal with detail and they deal with. Things that are and things that whatever, but yeah, uh, and those aren't wrong. And there are factual things in the Bible. There are like you know, there are records of like times people were alive. Oh yeah, there is names and places and people that do specific genealogy. Things. And you know, yep, uh, there is plenty of that. But the truth is, what I'm trying to understand, it's bigger than that. Yeah, it's yeah. much bigger. So Zach, what is truth? What is truth? Yeah, well. Truth is true. I mean, how else? Right, exactly, right? Right? (laughs) You don't know it when you you can't describe it, but you know it when you hear it. And so. Well, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, right? So, okay. So, we, um, I'm going to ask this big old question after this, but I wanted to come up with some funny, um, some funny things that I thought were examples outside of the Bible. So, I wrote down some allegorical historical events. Okay. <laughs> you know the story of uh of uh Nero fiddling? Oh when Rome burned yeah, Nero yeah. fiddled. Yeah. People are like, of course he did. And it's like, well, no, he didn't really. What wasn't the was the fiddle even invented at that point? Oh dude. We're talking me, the we're talking the second century, and I think of the fiddle as like a, <sighs> if you're talking about a violin, isn't that like a Renaissance instrument or something? Oh man, hold on. Historic All I know is all the all the music made for like violin is uh like from the 1600s, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, what's funny is that whenever they score movies like that, yeah, they do put a lot of like violin and stuff like that, but some of them are uh some of them are not classical music. <laughs> Class there was no classical music in the like 200s whenever Nero was around, right? So, um <laughs> What's funny is that they're like, I, I, I looked at this list a long time ago. I, I actually haven't been able to find it, but um, 
they describe things like Nero fiddled when Rome burned. Yeah. One is by land, two is by sea. Uh, I forget where that even comes from. I think it was a cracked list or something like that from like 2005. Like, oh, a cracked article. Do you remember that? Oh, man. Forever ago? The days when I could read a cracked article and so, enjoy it. <laughs> so Washington and the cherry tree. George Washington and the cherry tree. Yeah. Or uh, Robin Hood, the story of Robin Hood. People think that Robin Hood actually existed. Well, Robin Hood is a compilation of a few different people, right? Yeah. The same way that Dracula is a compilation of like Vlad the Impaler yeah. right. and a few other yeah. crazy people. Uh, or Ivan the Terrible, I think, maybe. Yeah. Possibly. So here's the thing. All of these are kind of like understood interpretations of a historical moment yeah. in history, right? Right. So like this is a more clever way of describing what happened. Do we need the details to know? Like some people would say yes. Like we would rather know the specifics of what actually happened. Yeah. But these are stories that were kind of invented or created to help people just kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. I think. In a more uh, maybe flavorful way. Okay. So like let's talk about like Nero. Nero's fiddling. Yeah. Like that's just portrays like his crazy aloofness yeah which is historical because we know that from like people's journals and stuff from back then they were actually like there were rome had like historians that would talk about roman guys and i can't right. remember like all the actual details of the history like right at this minute but i know that there was one guy named josephus who was right. actually he was actually jewish like he was from Israel, but yeah. he was a Roman historian. Mm-hmm. So he wrote all this stuff. And that's how we know, like outside of the Bible, that's how we know that Pilate was true. Cause Josephus knew about Pilate and like wrote about like his rule. Right. And stuff. Well, like, uh, I mean, right here, you can look this up anywhere, but um, right here, it talks about like why that was kind of implied about Nero. And it's because yeah. a lot of people assumed like they blamed Nero for the disaster of Rome. Yeah. Because they implied that he like wanted to like wreck Rome to like rebuild it in his like way or whatever. And maybe he did. Um, you know? and, and it says like, uh, the guy Tacitus, Tacitus, Tacitus. Yeah. That's uh, right. Basically that's claimed right. that Nero watched it and merrily played a fiddle. Like he didn't give a crap. Yeah. So, it is a colorful story, but it's not necessarily factually true. Yeah. Now, what do we do with that? It's been edited, in other words. Yeah. Right. So, so right. So, the problem is that we are readily we're, we're told these kinds of things, and we're just like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, that's I get that. Yeah. And so, essentially, what we're talking about today, as far as the scripture is concerned, is this idea that we may need allegory. We may not need literal interpretation. Yeah. And so I want to, I, I just rattle off questions at you. You can ask me questions, but uh, there, here's another one for you. Why would we need allegory, Zach? What do you think? Oh, man. There's so many like psychological reasons why people are drawn (laughs) to stories, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. There's like, um, there's all kinds of guys, like if you read like Carl Jung or whatever. Right. They talk about how, or like, uh, You've heard of um, Man of a Thousand Faces by is it Joseph Campbell. He's the guy who wrote this book and George Lucas read it and was inspired by like the the mythos thing and like created oh, okay. Star Wars. Out of yeah. It. So like this book that uh, Campbell wrote, um, it's just basically like um, talking about allegory and how um, we use these different archetypes and how every story has like a hero who does this. Or whatever, mm-hmm. and like that, those kinds of things for some reason really draw people in. Yeah, and it's like a it's a psychological thing, like with our brains, like we're we're drawn to something that we can relate to, and if it's like allegorical enough, and like hits these certain notes, you took screenwriting yeah. in college, right? Yeah, there's a total like structure to like storytelling. Not only that, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Jesus uses storytelling to like make his points when that's people right. don't understand parables parables are definitely like his main weapon of like helping people to get get across like what he's trying so to let say. me ask you this does it matter whether or not there was like a literal person for each parable that jesus told oh do you mean um does it matter that uh 
one guy got paid this much and worked all day and the next guy didn't have to work. Yeah. Did that actually happen? And if it didn't, like, what does that say about Jesus? Oh, he's such a liar then. Right. Right. Because it's not factual. (laughs) So, um, so the, uh, the adverse side to this, which I wanted to go over, I just picked this scripture because I feel like it's, it's like a good kind of example of the other side. Yeah. So I asked you, why do you think we need allegory? Uh I would, I would argue this about allegory. Okay, let's hear it. That today, many people like pride themselves on being like intellectual and like knowledgeable about everything and the way things work. Like uh, people are, we talked about this last time, but how people are so dependent on their like right way of thinking and about how they have like the newest version of knowledge. Um, Yet like more than 2000 years ago, like Jesus on earth would try and explain stuff to people. And 2000 years later, we still don't get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And Jesus at the time was like trying to be like, talk to us like children to get us to understand. Sure. Do you get it? And so like, obviously 2000 years ago, he couldn't have said like, put your iPhone down and pay attention to your wife, Colin (laughs) McSweeney. Like, but what he is doing is giving us these lessons that are very true yeah. about our, like, I mean, that are true today, as true as they were back then. Now, I would argue that because we understood so very little and we as human beings still cannot even fathom one millionth of like what God's doing, like, right. and what all he we did, can do is dig a little deeper and just try our best to, yeah. to, to, to relinquish control of our understanding. Right. But people don't want to relinquish control of their understanding. They want to be intellectual. So, oh yeah. So here's the thing. So many times, uh, like Jesus has tried to explain things to people. I'm about to read John eight, but um, I I would argue that God foresaw that human beings are ignorant, and so He was trying in so many words to help us understand better using allegory. Yeah, and so um, it's definitely a technique. I mean, of communication, right? Let me ask the listeners this, because this is this is the perfect example. When your five year old kid walks up to you and says, how do how do babies get made? Yeah. Are you going to tell them the literal answer? Are you going to use allegory? (laughs) Are you going to come up with some great story way? I mean, like, don't say stork, but say, you know, when mommy and daddy love each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that you say something weird, like they hug or, you know, you say something like that. So awkward. And so, right, and I'm probably making it awkward on the podcast. But what I'm saying is that God knows our ignorance because God, we are not God. Yeah. And so how could we understand, I mean, how can a human being explain themselves to a mouse or even a, you know, and I feel like we are even a million times less than that right. to God. So here's some examples, like, uh, basically this, this scripture is basically what I wanted to say. Many times, I said, many times Jesus speaks plainly, like actually says the truth. Yeah. Like plainly and literally to people and they don't believe him. They act like, like, yeah, okay. And so John 8, there's a few examples. And it's basically because the Pharisees are being weird, like they always are. <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, let's see, John 8, let's go. This is, this part of John 8 is entitled The Validity of Jesus' Testimony. Uh, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All of that is very flavorful language. I'm sure that somebody even reading this would say, like, I'm not quite sure what the literal definition of that is. But the Pharisees go, "Uh, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. And he's like, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from and where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. And they're like, what? Yeah. Your Father's not here. And he's like, it's like I can just see him rolling his eyes and be like, let me make it a little simpler for you. No, no, no. The father is here and I am here. If if my dad's here, then I'm here. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, like, that's not, no, you're, you can't yeah. fool us. Right. Same 
same gospel. Uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Yeah. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I've got to be born again. Yeah. What? Right. You know. And so, so I think I really do believe this, that there were times, there were times when Jesus was on earth and uh, walking amongst everyone in the, in the gospel where he literally tried to like figure out ways to dumb down what he was saying or like maybe even threw his hands up. Like, I I don't think there's going to be a way that I can explain this to you properly. Well, I think, you know, the, probably the teaching method of the time, I'm sure he was not the only one to use parables or stories as an example. And so I think, I think he was, you know, you said it best to, to God, like we are very, very small. Yet he is with us revealed in Jesus Christ and is able to like, say, it's okay. I'll come around and I'll, uh, I'll tell you these little stories because it's what you guys like hearing. Um, and and maybe this will be a way you can understand the greatness of God Yeah, in your own way. Maybe this will help yeah. you understand. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I think it's funny to talk about like the possible, like frust- we would be frustrated, but yeah. I think that God is ultimately patient and so i think he's you know it's like when it says like he looked at peter and he loved him you know it's like ah you dummy yeah (laughs) well like so so i love you (laughs) right exactly like yeah it's like uh, putting your hand on a kid's shoulder and being like you'll you'll figure it out one day so um obviously he goes through and he he continues on through john eight and he says once more, you know, they, they didn't really get the whole thing about his dad. So then he's like, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? <laughs> Is that why he says, I, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below and I am from above. He's like, yeah. he keeps being like, no, no, no. You're from here. I'm from there. And they're like, wait, what are you trying to say? He's like, yeah. I am God. God's here. I'm also here. But I love that he gets to the very, very end here uh, in 31. And he says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, you hold to my teachings. You are really my disciples. Then like, if you believe him about yeah, where he's from, like he said, if you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. Yeah. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Right. And so he doesn't say, then you will know all the facts about me. Yeah. But he does say that you will know the truth. Now, what's funny about that is that God through Jesus, I mean, God, God calls us to believe in him and God calls us to follow Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to follow him. And so it's funny. It's like, we spent all this time trying to figure out why or how or yeah. what detail or this. And God's like, all you got to do is, is just follow Jesus. I mean, you, Jesus yeah. says, all you got to do is follow me. Right. Like, you know, basically that's it. And they're like, no, we need to figure out all the machinations of your, like why you're here and what you're doing. And so what's funny about all that is that, again, we, we tend to focus on the wrong thing. And I think, that brings us back to like our series really, which is focusing yep. on the wrong thing. Well, that's good. We can wrap up the whole series as we wrap up this episode. I mean, that would be great. Yeah. Uh, like the, uh, the thing, the thing that it kept coming back to me as I was reading through that scripture is like the Pharisees keep like, or the, in the Jews, they keep like kind of questioning him. Uh-huh. And it makes me think of that, uh, Jack Nicholson thing from the movie. You can't handle the truth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can't handle the whopper. <laughs> So <laughs> is that a real commercial? Yes. Oh Lord. So, um, so yeah, Zach. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that whether or not a scripture is allegorical, it doesn't necessarily have to divide anybody. Right. Cause we're not really looking to figure out the facts of the scripture. You know, yeah, what I, mean? I mean, in some sense, in some cases, the facts do matter. Um, we defend that Jesus actually, was resurrected, right? Absolutely. We, you know, so that, so that literally happened. Um, but what God is teaching us overall in scripture is basically summed up in Jesus and his life and what we're supposed to do to follow him, give our lives over Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
yeah be saved and be imagers of of god on this earth I asked the Facebook group a long, long time ago. It was like probably like yeah. our first like big question that like got a lot of response. And it was, if you could sum up the Bible in one sentence, what would it be? Yeah. And so what I think is funny about that is that um, the Bible is in itself one large story. Right. And if I were to sum it up, I would say God solves the problem of sin and saves the world. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, it's... It, because time and time again, the issue is sin, and then God has this thing that He does. He sends a flood, wipes people out. Yeah, you can't necessarily boil it all down to one sentence, and that's no, why that's can't. that's why that's a fun exercise, right? But because it's so complex, and because God is so big and mysterious and unfathomable, yeah. um, that's why these allegories, like really help us absolutely so i think that the key might be to look at what it is trying to communicate regardless of lots of the details so you know um truth like jesus says i am the way the truth and the life yeah so what's funny about that is that over and over and over again if you think about it in this context which you should think about things in context yeah sure um is that Jesus is kind of putting it out there and being like, you don't really need to understand everything. Right. You don't need to like make these detail oriented understanding. Things. And if you do understand, if you feel like you, like you've just got it all, like then you don't need anybody. You don't need and God that, to tell you anything else. Right. And course. that's where you get put in the idol seat, bro. <laughs> Self love idol. Yeah. <laughs> You've twisted the scripture, made yourself an idol. There you All go. All the first three. See, All that, those things. So, um, Zach and Colin, season one. Oh, Bam. boom. See that? <laughs> We're making all these points. We're so smart. Um, so, okay. Final word. We'll just say, uh, um, I like this one thing in Psalm that kind of like the, the Psalms that kind of sums this up about truth a little bit. Yeah. It is Psalm 119 verse 160 which I thought was crazy when I first, I was like, I didn't realize there was a Psalm that long <laughs> that had 160 verses in it, but oh yeah, that's Psalm 119 one. has 160 yeah. verses. And it says in verse 160, taken out of context, but just pluck that right out of there and make your point. Why don't you? I will yeah. because <laughs> everybody else seems to want to do that. So <laughs> it, it, it is within context. It is, this is the part of this psalm where God is being showered with praise. And so of all the things that they say leading up to it about how this person who wrote the song loves uh, God's precepts, uh -huh. and he will obey the word no matter what. But in verse 160, he says, all your words are true. All your righteousness laws. Yep. All your righteous laws are eternal. And so I think there's only one place in the whole Bible that is translated as the word fact and I think it's just like really random. So I didn't even like, I, I looked it up. Oh, yeah. and I didn't even like, huh. anything. I never thought to look that up, but um, there's a lot of language about the truth of yeah. God and right. the truth of the scripture. Truth is important. And I think that the, the significance of that is that we have put a bubble around the idea of what the scriptures are supposed to say. So there's my little spiel. Well, there you go. Cool. All right, Zach. Well, I hope you all have enjoyed our little series here about, um, Putting yourself on the throne, I guess. Well, in yeah. a roundabout way, that's what all of these things we talked about kind of drive back to. I mean, what it essentially is, is is twisting away from God in so many other ways that it creates a distraction from you with God. And it's either your distractions and things that uh, turn us about. Yeah, I know that seems weird, like it's a generalization, but uh, they all do fit together very nicely. I uh, I guess uh, the last thing I want to say is um, if you guys haven't uh, listened to um, any of the other ones, listen to the last four episodes, basically. Yeah, we yeah. like those those fit together. But also we want to I wanted to say this is probably a surprise to you, but uh, I think uh, last couple of months we've been just kind of doing like regular podcasts. But where it's getting to be the fall, we're probably going to try and get out there 
maybe do some like shows on campus, maybe do some like church yeah, we might live get, shows. We might get out of the house a little bit. And I think coming up soon is probably a good time for us to do another uh, like live live Facebook. stream. I was thinking the same thing, and we should talk about that. So uh, be looking out for that. Yeah. Check us out on Patreon, and uh, please become a patron. We would love to have that support. Find us, share us everywhere, and let people know about the Houseplants Podcast. All right, guys. God bless you. Thanks again. Bye.